0: Chapter 22 of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter 22 Captain Antifer thought he would find a railway between Bone and Algiers, but he had arrived twenty years too soon. The reply he received early next morning when he asked the hotel keeper, proved a puzzler for him. What? he said with a start. Is there no railway from Bone to Algiers? No, sir, said the facetious hotel keeper. But there will be one in a few years' time if you want to wait. Doubtless Ben Omar would have asked nothing better, for it would probably have become necessary to go by sea to avoid delay. But Antwerp had no intention of waiting. Is there no boat announcing the sail? He asked in an imperious voice. Yes, this morning. Let us go on board. And at six o'clock, Antiphor left Bone on a steamer with two companions of his choice and the three necessity had imposed on him. We need not dwell on the incidents of this short voyage of a few hundred miles. Triggerman would have preferred to have performed this navigation in a carriage so as to have been able to see these territories which the remarkable railway was to traverse a few years later. But he reckoned on making up for his disappointment in Algiers. If Antiphor imagined that as soon as he arrived he would find a vessel starting for the west coast of Africa, he would be deceived. And would have to exercise a little patience. Meanwhile, what delightful walks Tregeben would have in the environs, perhaps even to Blida, or to the Monkey Brook. That the bargeman would gain nothing by the discovery of the treasure might be true, but at least he would gather a rich collection of memories of the journey to the Algerian capital. It was eight o'clock in the evening when the steamer, which made a quick passage, dropped anchor in the harbor of Algiers. The night in these latitudes was then dark even in the last week of march although the sky was glittering with stars the confused mass of the town rose gloomily toward the north rounded by the kasbah this kasbah so greatly desired all that triggerman could see in leaving the landing-place was that he had to climb a lot of steps abutting on the quay supported by monumental arcades and that he had to go along this quay leaving to the left a square brilliant with lights in which he would not have been displeased to stop Then a block of high houses, comprising the Hotel de l'Europe in which Captain Antifer and his party, were hospitably received. They were shown to their rooms, tregumains adjoining jewels. They had their luggage brought up, and they went down to dine. That occupied them until nine o'clock, and as there was plenty of time to wait for the departure of the steamer, the best thing for them to do was to go to bed and rest, so as to be in fit condition next morning to begin a series of walks through the town. But before taking the rest justified by this long journey, Jewel wrote to Anogate. He did this as soon as he regained his room. The letter would go in the morning, and in three days it would reach her. There was nothing very interesting in the letter except that Jewel was almost mad at the delay, and that he loved her with all his heart, in which there was nothing new. But while Ben Omar and Sa'uk went to their room, and Tregomain and Jewel went to theirs, Antifer and Zambuko, the two brothers-in-law, as it is surely permissible to describe them after the signing and sealing of their contract, disappeared from the hotel after dinner without assigning any reason. This rather surprised the bargemen and the young captain, and perhaps made Sa'uk and Ben Omar uneasy, but it was not likely that Antifer would have answered any questions on the subject. Where did the legatees go? To stroll along the picturesque quarters of Algiers? Probably not. It was noticed that during the latter part of the journey, Antifor had occasionally conversed in a low tone with the banker, and that Zambuco had appeared to approve of his companions' suggestions. What they had been talking about? Was this going out late part of a prearranged plan? What plan? What strange combinations were possible with two men of this kind? After shaking hands with Jewel, the bargeman went into his room. Before undressing, he opened the window wide to breathe a little of this delightful Algerian air. In the pale starlight he looked over the wide expanse, all the roadstead up to Cape Matafu, over which glittered the lights of the vessels, many of them at anchor, many of them coming in with the night breeze, while the coast was aglow with the torches used by the fishermen. Closer in were the steamers getting under way, their large funnels belching forth showers of sparks. Beyond Cape Matafu was the open sea, bounded by a horizon on which the splendid constellations were rising like displays of fireworks. The next day would be magnificent if it fulfilled the promises of the night. The sun would rise radiantly and outshine the last stars of the morning. How pleasant, thought Tregomine, will it be to visit this noble town of Algiers, to have a few days rest after this diabolical rush from Muscat, and before being hoaxed again at Island Number 2. I have heard of Moisey's Restaurant at Point Bascade. Why should we not go tomorrow and have a good dinner at this Moisey's? At this moment came a loud knock at the door, just as ten o'clock was about to strike. "'Is that you, Jewel?' asked Tregomene. "'No, it is Antifer.' "'I will open the door, my friend.' "'Useless. Dress and pack up.' "'My portmanteau?' "'We start in forty minutes.' "'In forty minutes? And mind you are not late, for the steamers don't wait as a rule. I'm going to tell Jewel.' Overwhelmed with surprise, the bargeman thought he must be dreaming. No, he heard the knock on Jewel's door, and Antifer's voice telling him to get up. Then he heard the departing footsteps descending the stairs. Jewel, who was writing, added a line to his letter telling Eligate that they were all going to leave Algiers that very evening. That, then, was why Zambuco and Antifer had gone out, it was to inquire if any ship was sailing for the coast of Africa. By unhoped-for good fortune, they had found the said steamer preparing to start. They had secured the berths, and then, without troubling himself about ceremony, Antifard returned to tell Tregomain and Jewel, while the banker warned Ben-Omar and Nazim. The bargeman was inexpressibly disappointed as he packed up, but nothing was to be said. The chief had spoken. He must obey. Almost immediately Jewel came into the room. "'You are not going to stop?' he said. "'No, my boy, although I ought to do so for your uncle's sake.' and I who promised myself at least two days in Algiers, and the harbour, and the gardens, and the Kasbah. But what could you expect, Tregomaine? It is most unfortunate that my uncle has found a ship ready for sea. Yes, but I shall strike before it is over, said the bargeman with a gesture of anger. No, Tregomaine, you will never strike. If you were to attempt such a thing, my uncle would only have to look at you in a certain way, and you would have to give in. "'You are right, Jewel,' replied Tremaine, lowering his head. "'I would obey. You know me well. It is a nuisance all the same, and this fine dinner I was thinking of giving you at Moises at Point Bascade.' Vain regrets. The poor man heaved a sigh and completed his preparations. Ten minutes afterwards, Jewel and he had found Antifer, Zambuco, and the others in the vestibule of the hotel. If they had been welcomed on their arrival, they were not allowed to depart so cheerfully had to pay for their rooms as if they had occupied them for a day. Joe put his letter in the box, and then they all descended the stairs, leading to the harbor, while Tregomain took a last look at Government Square. Half a cable's length away, a steamer was moored with her steam up. Black smoke rose from her funnel to the sky. Her whistle was already announcing that she would soon be off. A boat at the quay steps was waiting to bring the passengers on board. Antifer and his companions took their places in her, in a few strokes of the oars, they were alongside. Before even Tregomain could make out where he was, he was conducted to the cabin he was to share with Jewel. Antifer and Zambuco occupied a second, the notary and Souk a third. The steamer was the Catalan, belonging to a Marseille company, employed in the regular service of the west coast of Africa to St. Louis, and Dakar. She called in at intermediate ports when necessary to receive or discharge passengers or goods. A quarter of an hour after Antwerp had arrived, a final scream of the whistle rent the air. Then her hawsers were slackened off, and the catilab began to tremble. Her screw spun round violently, beating up a streak of foam on the surface of the sea, and she glided round the vessels at anchor, took the channel between the arsenal and the jetty, and headed to the westward. A vague mass of white houses greeted the bargeman's eyes. This was the casbah, of which he could only make out the general outline. A cape jutted out from the coast. This was Point Pascade, the point on which was the restaurant of Moisey, who made those succulent boule bases. And that was all Tregmaine brought away with him to remind him of his stay in Algiers. We need hardly mention that as soon as the harbour was left, Ben Omar, extended on the couch in his cabin, began again to taste the delights of seasickness. And when he thought of his voyage to the Gulf of Guinea, he also thought of his return. Fortunately, that would be his last passage. On this island number two, he was certain of getting his promised commission. But if some of the others had also been ill, it would have been more soothing to him, and not one of them felt the slightest nausea. He was the only one to suffer. He did not even have the very natural consolation of seeing one of his kind share his sufferings. The passengers on the Catalan were mostly sailors returning to the ports of the coast, a few Senegalese, and a certain number of soldiers of the marine infantry, accustomed to the eventualities of navigation. They were all bound for Dakar, where the steamer was to land her cargo. She was not going to stop anywhere on the road, and Antifer could but congratulate himself on having precipitated himself on board. It is true when we got to Dakar, he would not be at the end of his journey, and to this Zambuco called his attention. Agreed, he said, but I never expected to find a steamer going from Algiers to Luango, and when we are at Dakar, we will see about matters. In fact, it would have been difficult to have done otherwise. The difficulty would be in the last part of the voyage, and therein was a the subject for serious anxiety on the part of the expectant brothers-in-law. During the night, the Catalan kept along at some two or three miles from the coast. The lights of Tenez were observed, and the somber mass of Cape Blanc could just be distinguished. In the morning, the heights of Iran were sighted, and an hour afterwards the steamer doubled the promontory, on the other side of which is the roadstead of Murs al-Kabir. Further on, the coast of Morocco developed on the port side, with its distant profile of mountains dominating the rift country, where game is so plentiful. On the horizon appeared Tetuan, quite striking under the solar rays. Then, at a few miles to the west, Kuta planted on its rock, between two creeks, like a fort commanding one of the swing doors of the Mediterranean, the key to the other swing doors being kept by Great Britain and beyond in the offing through the straits appeared the immense Atlantic. The wooded slopes of the coast of Morocco could be plainly made out. Tangiers was past hidden in the curve of its gulf, its villas amid the green trees, many marabouts here and gleaming white in the sun. The sea was dotted with numerous sailing vessels waiting for the wind to take them through the straits of Gibraltar. The Catalan had no delays to fear. Neither the breeze nor the current recognizable by peculiar rippling in the vicinity of the Straits, could contend against her powerful screw, and towards nine o'clock in the evening, she was beating with its triple blade the wide Atlantic. The bargeman and Jewel were talking on the poop before retiring for a few hours' rest. Naturally, the same thought occurred to them as the Catalan, steering southwest, doubled the extreme point of Africa, a thought of regret. Yes, my boy, said Tregomain, it would have been preferable if, on coming out of the Straits, we had gone starboard instead of port. At least we should not have turned our heels on France. And to go with her? To the devil, I am afraid. But you must endure evil with patience, Jewel. You can return from everywhere, even from the devil. In a few days we shall be at Dakar, and from Dakar to the Gulf of Guinea. Who knows if we shall find any means of transport from Dakar? There is no regular service beyond. We may be kept there for weeks, and if my uncle imagines, he does imagine. Never doubt it. That it will be easy for him to reach island number two, he is mistaken. Do you know what I think, Trigomene? No, my boy. What if you like to tell me? Well, I think that my grandfather, Thomas Antfer, ought to have left this confounded Camel on the rocks of Jaffa. But Jule, the poor man. If he had left him there, this Egyptian could not have left his millions to his rescuer. if he had not left his millions, my uncle could not have run after them, and Enogate would be my wife. That is all very true, but if you had been there, Jewel, you would have saved the life of this unfortunate pasha as your grandfather did. What is that? he added to turn the conversation. What is that light, showing a bright light on the port bow? That is the lighthouse of Cape Spartel, replied Jewel. In fact, it was a lighthouse placed at the western extremity of the African coast and maintained at the expense of the state of Europe, the most advanced of those that projected their rays over the surface of the African seas. The voyage of the Catalan need not be related in detail. The steamer was favored. She picked up a land breeze in these parts, and can keep at a short distance from the coast. The sea was agitated merely by the long, rolling swell coming in from the westward, and it required the most susceptible of Omars to be ill in such weather. The shore remained in view. The heights of Mecanez, of Magador, Mount Shot, which dominates this region from a height of about 3,000 feet. Tarudant and Cape Juby, where the frontier of Morocco ends. Trigemaine did not have the satisfaction of seeing the Canary Isles, as the Catalan passed some fifty miles to the eastward before it to Ventura, the nearest of the group, but he was able to salute Cape Bohador before crossing the Tropic of Cancer. Cape Blanco was passed in the afternoon on the 2nd of May. The next morning they were off Portendike, and then the country of the Senegal lay spread before the traveller's eyes. As all the passengers were bound to Dakar, the Catalan had no occasion to put in at St. Louis, which is the capital of this French colony. Dakar seems to be of more maritime importance than St. Louis, and Antwerp would probably find it easier there to obtain some means of transport to the Luango. At length, on the 5th, about 4 in the morning, the Catalan doubled the famous Cape Verde, situated in the same latitude as the islands of this name. She rounded the triangular peninsula, which hangs like a flag on the edge of the African continent and the port of Dakar appeared on the lower angle of the peninsula, after a voyage of eight hundred leagues from Algiers. End of chapter 22